This podcast is proudly brought to you by Torched. Want to know how to grow your business with podcasting? Head to gettorched.com. That's G-E-T-T-O-R-C-H-T.com. I'm Wayne Carey, and this is The Truth Hurts. Well, welcome to episode nine of The Truth Hurts. I'm Ayrton Woolley alongside the King Wayne Carey, a bonus episode for you Today, we're going to explore your footy journey a little bit more in depth, Wayne, and there is a milestone coming up that sort of puts this into context. Do you want to explain that My for journey? Us? Well, we're going to talk about the Players Association's journey, but they happen to be a very similar age. So uh, I turned 52 in uh, four or five days, so six days, actually. I should know that, shouldn't I? On Saturday, so 52, and the Players Association are turning 50, and it's been a... It's been a weird and wild journey for the Players Association because at the start they well they weren't really even an association and I know the people back then will will uh, will argue but I guess everything has to start somewhere but uh, skipping right through to when I first played a game in 1989 I reckon there would have been under half of the players in the comp remembering it wasn't a national comp we're talking VFL back then. So very, very different, but under half, there were even whole clubs, I think North Melbourne might have been a club that wasn't even involved in the association. So um, yeah, it's a long way from where it is right now. Yeah, absolutely. So back then, 89, you make your debut, um, you wouldn't have had any management at that stage, I'd imagine. A lot of the players would have been working full-time jobs. Did you have to do any work at that stage? Do you remember your first contract and, and what that was worth? Uh, could you sustain yourself on what you were earning back in, in 89? No, not the way I was spending as a, <laughs> as a 16-year-old. Um, but it was, yeah, probably about $15,000, $20,000. Although, you know, as a 16-year-old, that's yeah. that's a lot. I was getting paid, so you get paid match payments for an under-19 game, but you've got a retainer. Um, I also had a a clause in there that if I got my license, they'd buy me a cheap, a cheap car, which, you know, which is awesome because there's no way I would have been able to afford a car. Um, they bought John Longmore a brand new Commodore and a brand new boat. I just got a VB, <laughs> VB Commodore, which was, uh, you know, not the... Was he the golden child back then, horse, oh, was he? Yeah, horse, horse got the ki- kitchen sink thrown at him. Um, whereas we were, we were, you know, we were the ones that, you know, just got all the, uh, got all the scraps. But it was very, yeah, a lot of players did have jobs. I worked as a clerk. I also worked at a company called Sands and McDougall, um, D&T Lighting, Eagle Lighting. So these are all the little jobs that I had. None of them lasted too long. <laughs> um, but it was 1990 when I played my first full year. So Wayne Schimmelbush gets the job in 1990. Um, a guy that I live with called Stephen Hamilton, him and I, neither of us had a job. And Wayne Chimmelbush said, everyone has to have a job. He thought that it was healthy for everyone to be working and, and playing footy. So remember, we're talking 1990. And I remember saying to Bomber and the club, well, you, can you help us find a job? So they found us a job in Footscray as wool classes. As, as what? <laughs> wool classes. Now, we had no idea what a wool classer was. I... I I straight away thought, oh, we're going to be sitting there looking through wool <laughs> yeah. and, you know, seeing whether it's good wool or bad wool. <laughs> you would have been good at that. <laughs> and woolly. Um, so, yes, yeah. I picked up um, what you are putting there. But I, yeah, so we had no idea what to expect. And we walked in for the job the first day 
And the supervisor came up and he just looked at us. I think we were playing, we're both in the seniors, playing senior footy. And he gave us these two big hooks, like like uh, Captain Hook, of whatever show that it. What's what's Captain Hook? Peter Pan. Peter Pan. Yep. Put the put grab the hook, and he said, "I want you to move those bales of wool from point A to point B." And those bales of wool were bigger than you know. They were probably six six high, and you know, probably six foot wide. Like they were big, and you just put the hook in. Put them on a trolley and then move them, move them around. And I, I looked at Bomber and he looked at me and I said, "Is this bloke serious? <laughs> we, we've, we've got a game of footy to play in a couple of days or a day yeah. or whatever it was." So I walk, we walk straight over. Bomber, Bomber was a bit of a sheep, pardon the pun. <laughs> so I walked straight over, put the hook in the bale, just went one straight in the top, and walked out the door. Left, left, walked out. So, how long did you last? No, that was me. Oh, and Bomber the sheep. Oh, sheep the, yeah, you left, sorry. Sheep, sheepy Bomber follow, followed me. Oh, so we walked out and the supervisor rings the club, says, hey, your two, uh, your two workers that you sent down here, it, they've just walked out. They're gone. So Wayne Schimmelbush uh, dropped Bomber and myself. So we got dropped. And I'll never forget it because it was the uh, f- first time that I'd been dropped under, obviously, Wayne Schimmelbush and the last time that I ever got dropped. So I got dropped once once in my whole career and that was it. And we walked out. The club, you know, obviously uh, not not happy at all as well as being dropped. And I went back and played. We played against Essendon at Windy Hill. I think that was the last time or the last year that you played at Windy Hill. So I, I played reserves. I think I took 22 marks and Bomber... Bomber cracked the sads and he didn't play well at all. I got back in the next week and, like I said, I've never never played reserve grade footy from that point on. Um, Bomber went home. He, oh. nev- he could never he could never yeah, okay. he could never understand. And he's one of my best mates and still is, but he could never understand how you could get dropped for you know not having a job when we we're there to play football. So he played four games that year before that that happened and never played again. Do you got, regrets it? Got two Brownlow votes. In his second game, wow! Um, he was a he was a serious. He, he had Darren Jarman type ability. Yeah, my mate Bomber Stephen Hamilton is his uh, full name. So he took it the wrong way. I took it the right way. I got back in the next week. Um, um, I did my shoulder the next year, and uh, Bomber played in a premiership for the North Adelaide Roosters, and I I was very very. Um, jealous that he'd gone back and played in a premiership. I'd done my shoulder, and we weren't going that well at the time. And I remember thinking we we both wanted to go back to Adelaide after it had happened. Mm. I just took it a little bit better than what he did, and North allowed him to go back, and they made me um, stick by my contract, so I stayed. So very thankful that that happened. But that was also around the time then that um, I think it was '92 that Ricky Nixon uh, was starting to manage. So you didn't have a manager no, pre-Ricky? No, I didn't have a manager. My brother, um, Dick, he was my manager. Fair to say, not his one of his great strengths. I, as I said, the money wasn't huge, but I would have I would have spent the money of that year and half the money the year after, mm. and then would go in and renegotiate and say, "Well, can you just start again? Take that off there." And and uh, <laughs> so you had no need for the the players' association at that time was not big like it is now in terms of supporting the players. Is it Young no. players now, before they're even drafted, for instance, will go and have various um, chats about how they're going to set their lives up outside of football. 
At that stage, none of that. No, fit. none of that. None of that. So Ricky Nixon, as I said, other players in the in the league had managers, and you hear about you know Peter Jess was a big one, obviously Greg Williams, and you heard about these superstars of the comp at that time that did, and I, I guess so they were the sort of players back then were, that were on that magical hundred thousand, around a hundred thousand. That's what you heard. That was the that was the, the the number that everyone wanted. Then, if you could if you could earn a hundred thousand dollars, that was the holy grail. Now it's obviously a million dollars, but that was the holy grail back then. And it was then that I got asked to do a a, a modelling. Yeah, so we a, might post a, this over the a, top. A, actually, a calendar has to be seen to be believed. And uh, I was asked to do it, so I was lying, lying on a diving board and Ricky Nixon was there, I don't know, he might have organised a couple of the other players, Tony Modra and, you know, all the glamour boys. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I I got the cover. I Yeah, so I got an extra bonus. You're still pretty proud of it, I can tell. I got the bonus. I think I got $2,000 extra because of the making, making the cover. So I was very happy, given that, that when you think about it, the the footy contract was only about 20 grand then. So we're not talking big money. So the two grand for making the cover was huge. And Ricky went to my brother and said, look, I think, you know, we should, not sure whether he thought I had a modelling career or a football career, but certainly not modelling. But he, he, um, yeah, he, he convinced my brother to give him a shot at being manager. And uh, that's, that's when that relationship started. And he went on then to... Um, Create Club Ten. Well, he changed the game, didn't he, with you guys? And we, and we touched on it previously, but who, yeah. who, it was oh, Tony, Gary Ablett Senior, Tony Lockett, uh, Dunstall, Modra, Jakovic, Lyon. Uh, the list goes on and on. I mean, the, the the absolute best players in the comp were a part of Cuda, were a best part of this. Then the AFL came out, and this is where Ned Kelly got his start. And they started a a rebel. Well, not a rebel. We were the rebels. They started their own AFL Club Ten style. Um, set up with some real B graders. No, they were all good players as well. But <laughs> Club Ten and where it started. But what that did is it put pressure on the AFL. So that's where the AFL and Ned, you know, started working together and those players and they did their own little group and did what they did. But it was when you could start to get deals outside of you know outside of your own club and be sponsored by as as we've discussed before with Nike and other things. So that's, that was the real start of it. And that's when the Players Association, then the Players Association just started to get a little bit more momentum. And then it became a little bit more apparent that they wanted, they wanted a hundred percent sign up. They didn't want 50% or 60 or 70% of the players. They wanted every player to be a part of the Players Association. And to be a strong union, I think you need that. If, well, certainly if you don't have a hundred, you, you need 90 plus to, to make it a, a really strong union. And and they started to get that, and then you remember uh, Andrew Demetrio. Um, he was the head of he was executive the, yep, before, before he, he was at the AFL. Correct. So what a great stepping stone um, that you know he had, and 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 he was uh, huge in obviously building that into something a little bit more powerful, and had a real voice against. So started to stand up, and this is when you knew that the players' association was just starting to. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Torched. Want to know how to grow your business with podcasting? Head to gettorched.com. That's G-E-T-T-O-R-C-H-T dot com. You're realising your power you had as, as, a, as a collective. As a collective. Maybe seeing overseas that we'd had different organisations with lockouts and the players were refusing to play and 
you, you could actually have an impact if you were united as a as a group. Yeah, and there was talk about strikes and different things at different times during that period. I do remember that one of the big things for me was the car parking. I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe that you know we had directors at North Melbourne and we had um, you know even not not so much even Dennis Pagan parked in the car like so the coaches all parked. We parked in the car park and then you had. Uh, directors and sponsors parking under the MCG. When you say the car parks, you just mean the grassed area. Just the grassed area. Yeah. Outside the MCG. So near, with amongst the punters. And amongst the punters. And I remember at that time, and I reckon it was around '94, and I remember having a conversation saying, "This, this has got to change." So went to Ricky and got a few people behind it, and obviously went and, and spoke to the players' association and said, "We shouldn't be. We shouldn't have to park." You know, amongst the, the you know the, the supporters, there's going something's going to happen soon, yeah. and someone's going to get hurt, whether it be a player or a supporter. That <laughs> you know that that should that, that is avoidable. Could you cop abuse, wouldn't you? That's Would- avoidable. Avoidable. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I've numerous times security's followed, uh, taken me to my car after a game of footy. Numerous times back in in that period where we weren't parking underneath, and you look at all the stadiums. You look at all the stadiums now. I know Geelong's. Geelong, they park in that park, but it's a very short, you know, what is it, yeah. 20, 30 metre walk straight into their rooms. But there's very few grounds now where you where you have to walk through or walk out after a particular game through the punters. So Dusty's got you to, he's got to thank you then, does he? Well, not me, but I think Ricky Nixon and and the players that he managed at that time had a big say in, in those types of things being changed. Of course, referring to Dusty leaving his, his car under the MCG for a week after, yeah, yeah, after I winning. I, I get what you meant. Uh, I've left mine under there a couple of times too, actually. Have you? Yeah. For a week? Um. Oh, a few days. <laughs> <laughs> I could imagine that. Uh, now, the AFL Players Association now uh, are big, as I referred to before, in terms of educating the players on so many different issues in the game, whether it's uh, drugs, gambling, uh, finances, all that sort of thing. When did that start to become prevalent for you, or were you towards the end of career and it was less relevant for you? I, th- uh, I think it's all gro- It's just grown. It's just it grows every year, and I think you know we we, we have the AFL and the AFL Players Association. We have become organisations that seem to be, um, I guess, trying to trying to set the example. That's not to say that that's not to say that um, players AFL players uh, aren't subjected to or don't follow in normal societies you know, shoes, so to speak. They have the same issues and they have the same temptations. And that's what that's what it can be annoying sometimes when people go, oh, they're play, they get paid all this money, they shouldn't make the same mistakes as a normal 18-year-old. Hang on, they're 18, 19. That's why they're making these mistakes because just because they can kick a footy doesn't make them any different to someone that can't kick a footy. And so, so but that's where it's changed. Yes, the education around a lot of different things. I mean, you only have to see, and it's still got a long way to go given recent history and still dingbats in the crowd um, yelling certain things out or trolling on social media. But, the, you know, the, the we, we know we've just had the anniversary of Nicky Winmar um, and, and where we've got to now, which is, you know, obviously a lot further down the line, but still yet a, lot, a long way to go. And it is all about education. And I think that the, the the players' association and the AFL and the players within the game are all across it. It's a few dingbats in the outer that we have to get over the line in terms of uh, racism. But there's 
there's so many things that they've done and they encourage you to do different courses. Well, have you done what courses have you done? Have you, well, I did a computer course. A computer course, <laughs> but uh, you're not the most technologically. I did, Arch, Arch and I did a computer course. Actually, <laughs> Who I, was worse? I remember, well, <laughs> he could send an email before me. Let's put it that way. Um, not sure I passed it, but I, I was a token effort. You know, they, they wanted us to do courses. So I thought, oh, what's one I can do? And anyone that knows me knows what I'm like on a computer, I would say that it'd be fair to say I didn't pass it. You barely I'm, answer text messages, I'm not, let alone... I'm, I'm not great. I also did a, I, I did a cooking course, which, fair to say, I didn't pass that either. I also did... I'm not sure this falls into uh, the Players Association or what they stood for, but I did a blackjack course <laughs> <laughs> with BJ Masters. That might have been out of the... BJ yeah. Masters, by the way, if you gamble, gamble responsibly. Um, but BJ Masters was a professional blackjack who was banned from all the casinos. And he had a he had an apartment across the road from Crown and you, you'd go up there and he had the blackjack table set up and you'd sit there and do that. So Lee Colbert and I did that. Um, over the, over the course of you know weeks and weeks, do you think that improved your your game? Oh, one hundred percent. Were you were you like counting cards like they do in the movies? Is <laughs> I, that wouldn't, what you... I wouldn't I wouldn't say I got that far, but certainly know the rules. What you know, what to split and what to double on, and all of those different That's things. Important. So very well, very important. Um, and the other one, I did a I did a scuba diving <laughs> course. Now I, I feel I like we've think... gone off track from the PA well, a bit. There. No, well, well I. They paid for it. No, did they? No, 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 oh, they didn't. no. I did a scuba course and and got my ticket, scuba diving ticket, and a lot of that was just to get away. You know, you were on holidays with um, with uh, your partner or 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 a group, and you just needed a little bit of you time, so you'd just go out in a boat and do a scuba diving course. It's actually quite a tough. Um, it's a very long test, written test that you have to do to get that. And you did a you did a written test. I did. I studied. I, stu- I actually studied the whole holiday to get it. That's incredible. I, I yeah. couldn't imagine that, to be honest yeah. with you. So anyway, there are a few courses that the players, they, they like to push you into these um, things, and that's happening more now because they, they want players to be able to transition. I think the biggest, the biggest thing that the Players Association have to do, and I think the biggest concern that they have, is this new agreement. I don't think players are paid enough. I think that... There is still so much scope for what they can do for their for their playing group, and the other, and the big one is when players transition out of the game. When they transition out of the game, I don't think that they get um, looked after as well as they should. Those that fall on um, hard times. You wrote about it. this last year, didn't yep. you? So you described the players' association as a toothless tiger mm. because you thought they weren't um, supporting the players enough post footy. Particularly yep. the players that had played a lot of footy and, and had had serious injuries, of which you are now one. You're heading in for surgery. Fourth uh, of July. Fourth of July. Okay, so that's for your shoulder. You were going to get that done originally last year, I believe. Yep. Um, so you need a replacement. You had multiple surgeries on that during your career. So you wanted the Players Association to be more active in supporting you in getting that done and other players in similar... No, it wasn't, wasn't me. The reason why I didn't get it done at the time, I'd, I've been insured since I was 16 years of age, private health, and it was the fact that that was the only thing that I wasn't insured for. I was insured for every other surgery that you can get, except for apparently a replacement of, of a joint. 
So therefore, so I've waited the 12 months, over the 12 months now, so I'll get it done on the 4th of July. Um, but I was, I did call them the toothless tiger because I'd spoken to numerous players when we wrote that article and found that there was, there was some of those players didn't get phone calls back and the support wasn't there. So it was off the back of a few of those talks and then I went and caught up with Paul Marsh and Tim Harrington and they, they filled me in on some of the stories and I guess being taken advantage of. Some players have, have you know, gone back numerous times um, to, to receive help and there's only so much that they can do for one particular player, which is probably fair enough. I do think there's got to be an adjustment made for, at the moment, if you've played one game or you've played 300 games, you get the same cover as, you get the same cover as one another. So I'm not sure how that fits. So surely if you've played 300 games, you're going to have more injuries later in life that need to be looked after rather than if you've played one. I mean, unless you do your knee in the first game, you know. I'm, so, I think there's got to be a, a little bit of a, a tidy up there and how they scale that and how players get looked after. But the biggest challenge that they had getting back to that point is then how they how they can support um, the players afterwards. And and they and I know people go, oh, they've got to look after themselves. I've earned this because all of these courses that they get pushed into and and they get told that they need a life after footy and just doesn't work like that. They they put all of their eggs into that basket. And yes, they do token courses like a few that I mentioned, but they're not serious about it. If their form just slightly drops off, I guarantee the club's coming to them saying, hey, you, you just focus on your footy. Because mm. then you, at the end of the day, they're there to, to, to play good footy. And, and it is really sad to see how many players do fall on hard times afterwards. And it's just because of the effort that they put in and they don't focus on things during their their career. And that that's including guys that have played 10 years or, or 11, you know, or even more. And I could name, um, I could name a few, but I, I don't want to embarrass them without, um, we might, we might even have a few come on the truth hurts and tell us a little bit about their journey. But, it, but that's the area that I think is the biggest area for concern. So, whether there's a bigger pool of money that can go into helping these players afterwards, um, I, I think one of the greatest things they could set up, it's the first time I've said this, but they should set up a recruitment company, the Players Association. They're, for they're employing own, their correct, own? Correct. Okay. Their own recruitment company for employing ex-AFL players and positioning them in jobs that they think are suitable. I think it would be quite profitable. And I think the one thing that you get from an ex-AFL player, well, the majority of them anyway, is they're disciplined to be on time. They love routine. So, so positioning them, you know, to their to their personality and something that they might go and enjoy. You're never going to love a job like you did playing AFL footy. Of course. So that's the other mental side of it. They come out of it and they go, well, where's the adrenaline? Like, you know, playing, that's the best, it's the best job in the world. You know, whether you're a basketballer, footballer, soccer player, whatever you are, it's have the you best tried to replace that post footy with anything? Have you have you well, for, for anything? Well, in your for life? me, for me, it was routine. Yeah, for me, it was routine and not having that routine. And um, be fair to say, but my 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 story is well documented that I didn't handle um, retirement all that well. Went straight into the media where you you know you um, didn't really have to think other than some of the training that you do to. To go into it, but I uh, did a bit of coaching, obviously at Collingwood for a year, which didn't um, 
go all that well in terms of um, finding the time to get in there, Ant. So it was, yeah. So a lot of players do find that, and it and it is it is just around that structure that they need. But a recruitment company, I think, would be a it's got very, some merit. Very good idea. Before we sign off on this topic, you're going to present are you to the players' association at their anniversary, or you're just going to be a part of it? Uh, how's that working for you? No, it, they've got a, They've got a 50th year celebration actually yep. just around the corner from here. Um, the Bells Hotel. And will you have a role in that or you're going? Um, I'm, I, I'm going to roll up because it's around the corner. I have actually really enjoyed the conversation that I had with Paul Marsh when we caught up um, last year or the year before. Um, so I really want to go along and just see, just see who turns up to that I think will be quite fascinating. I know some of the older guys do, but I wonder, I reckon there might be a few guys that are just recently out of the game. It's also a great networking um, opportunity for some players as well that might be feeling a little bit, um, you know, might be feeling a little bit down or a little bit lost. The ability to go to one of these and it might be a next player that's got a business that's looking for someone that has a drive and bang, all of a sudden you've got a job and you're on your way. So um, looking forward to that. But they've done, they've, they've done some great things, the Players Association, but this next, this next period of the next sort of six or seven years of which they're negotiating now is a really crucial, big opportunity for them. Absolutely. Well, Duck, some great insight into the AFL Players Association and how that's matched up to your journey in footy. Just a reminder for our listeners, they can like and subscribe. Wayne Carey, The Truth Hurts on YouTube. Rate and review. Give us your comments and uh, we'll incorporate them into the shows. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Torched. Want to know how to grow your business with podcasting? Head to gettorched.com. That's G-E-T-T-O-R-C-H-T dot com.